Hey, this is uh, Spider from Power Man 5000 calling in. Hey, Spider, thanks so much for the time. My name is Mike Z. I'll be doing the interview with you and wanted to right. chat about some uh, everything Power Man 5000, of course, the tour and the album and get your opinion on some stuff. But uh, I guess we should start off with the album. The 11th album, New Wave, came out at the end of October and kind of wearing your uh, influences on your sleeve, so to speak, with Sid Vicious and Address and David and that word I can't say on the radio, Bowie and <laughs> tunes like that. But go ahead and talk about the new album. Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, you know, the band has always been a, a, a huge eclectic mess in a certain degree, you know, that I've always sort of tried to to, to pull all these influences and 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 do it in somewhat of a concise way. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, I mean, I grew up, I grew up a punk rock kid, you know, that was what, what, that was the music that inspired me to, to make music. First of all, music that, that I heard that I, I sort of connected with in a sense that, you know, I, it made me, uh, made me convinced that I could actually do it, you know, uh, as a little kid listening to, you know, whatever the Beatles or Elton John, it, you know, nothing could have been further from my ability or ambition level, you know what I mean? <laughs> but then when I started hearing, you know, the Ramones and the, the Sex Pistols or whatever, I was like, I'm like, I don't know, like that, I can wrap my head around. And you know, oddly enough, um, you know, Power Man 5000 is certainly not a punk rock band, but, um, you know, because over the years, you know, all the other influences from rap to new wave to metal to, you know, have all infiltrated what I do, but... But at heart, you know, it's that spirit, you know, that sort of that punk rock attitude that's permeated through all the all the records we've ever made. Absolutely. And I think it's kind of coming through now musically. I think it's always kind of been within you, but it feels like it's really kind of starting to shine on this this latest album, New Wave. Yeah, I mean, the new record is definitely, uh, as compared to maybe the last couple, a lot more. It's a lot rougher around the edges. Um, I always found that we you know, make a record. And it's you know it's a pretty controlled environment, and so you you sort of spend all this time trying to make it sound right, and then going on the road for a year, and after a year it sounds the the live version becomes very wrong, you know, and wrong in a good way, you know, it's messy or it's louder, your voice is trashed after doing you know hundred shows, and uh, and so I always was like, wow, maybe we should make the record now, you know, so I, for with this one I try to take that attitude where you know, try to make it sound as if we had already, already toured for a year on these songs. And uh, so we, you know, we went at it and very much like leaving the mistakes and uh, try not to, you know, don't go for the perfect vocal take and just, and so hopefully that came through on, on this one. Absolutely. It did. It does. It does have that like live kind of raw garage band kind of feel about it. And speaking of the uh, live shows, we got a couple coming up, a couple opportunities to see Power Man here in, in SoCal up on the mountain, the cave and Big Bear on Friday, March 16th. Are you a, a skier or a snowboarder at all? No, no. God, no. I, <laughs> I've never tried it. And uh, I'm not even I'm not that fond of the cold or, or the snow, even though I grew up on the East Coast. I always sort of I mean, uh, I just, if it gets below 50 degrees now, I'm, I'm you know, miserable because I've lived in California for so long. But uh, but we've never played up there, so it's going to be interesting. You know, I don't know what to expect. We, you know, of all the places we played, never done Big Bear before. So looking forward to seeing what happens. And then, of course, uh, down in Orange County, the following Friday, the 23rd, at the Slide Bar in downtown Fullerton. And that place is owned by the uh, Lit guys, the guys from the band Lit. 
Yeah, I hear. I've never been there, uh, but I hear that it's like one of those places. It's a very small venue, uh, but it's, uh, you know, everyone just says how much fun it is to play there, and all the shows are really great. So when it, when the opportunity came up, we, we jumped at it. You know, we've, we've got a, a, a proper four-week tour coming up in April that we just released dates for the other day. So these, are, these two March shows are good, like, you know, kind of warm-up, get-the-rust-off kind of shows before we hit the road for real. Awesome, man. And and I hope I'm uh, not jumping too far ahead, but just kind of looking at a calendar and doing math and going, wow, you know, tonight the stars revolt about to turn 20. I mean, next year, but uh, kind of thinking, would you ever do that, you know, start to finish the album on, on the 20th anniversary? Yeah, I don't know. You know, that has definitely become a thing to do. Right? Like, and I think that people people dig that, but uh, I haven't really thought about it uh, in terms of uh, if I would want to do all those songs because you know there's a I don't know, there's a reason why you don't play certain songs live right because they never quite work uh, <laughs> live so you know i don't know how great of an experience it would be but uh you know i mean i don't know if i would do a whole tour like that maybe like a show would be kind of fun to try like a one-off and see how it goes and you know you never know but yeah it's, it is pretty mind-blowing that it's it's been coming up on 20 years since that record came out yeah, I wanted to kind of ask you, or at least go back to that time period and think, I mean, that was kind of right before the uh, the dawn of the internet and kind of the world changing musically. It was still kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, old school at that point, but just kind of where you were in the mindset of making these, these songs 20 years ago, essentially. That time was crazy because you're right. I mean, it was sort of like, I feel like we snuck in there before yeah, everything got turned inside out. And the reality is back then, you know, we got signed to a label called DreamWorks, which still exists as a, you know, everyone knows DreamWorks Animation and DreamWorks Films and stuff. But at the time, they had a, a record label. And, you know, we were just these knuckleheads out of Boston who didn't have a clue as to, you know, anything about the or record deals or anything like that. But we ended up getting signed to DreamWorks, playing a show in New York, oddly enough. We had sort of become the big band in Boston, which is where we're from, and we, we started, started to go out and do shows in you know, New York, Connecticut, nobody knew us. We played a show in New York in front of maybe 10 people. And it just so happened that a DreamWorks A&R guy came to the show and uh, said he wanted to sign us. And then I thought it was a, a joke, you know, who would want to sign us, you know? <laughs> but, right. And long story short, we ended up signing and we, and we put a record out and, you know, it didn't do much, but we got to go on the road and it was fun. And then, and then we made the follow-up, which was Tonight the Stars Revolt. And at the time, DreamWorks, you know, was this sort of massive label with with uh, all the guys from Warner Brothers and all these legendary music execs, and they had tons of money behind them, but they couldn't get a hit record. They were thinking, you know, they signed George Michael, they signed all these, you know, but they just couldn't break anything. And then there was us, which was just like <laughs> this ridiculous band that they were just rolling their eyes at, I think. And we made Tonight the Stars Revolt, and they told us they didn't hear any songs, they didn't hear nothing, you know, and... And then the you know the way the the way the world works sometimes things just have a take on a life of their own and the song when worlds collide just sort of kind of became this monster of a song and took off and suddenly we delivered them their first platinum album which was pretty hysterical considering I think they were writing us off as maybe a waste of money <laughs> goes to show what they know generally that is the general rule right yeah like you know, you're told that there's no songs that you probably have an amazing album. Right. You know, it's funny about DreamWorks, too, and, and something I talk about all the time on the radio, and I'm so glad to get to talk to you about it because you've been involved in it a lot. But I really miss movie soundtracks. 
I feel like there were so many killer ones. You've been a part of a bunch of killer ones. I mean, you have an extensive list, and I kind of wanted to get from you, you know, kind of how that works. And, you know, if any of them had it, if any one stood out more than the other, kind of had the biggest impact and kind of isn't the industry term sinks? Is that what they call it when you get placement in other things? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's funny because another thing that was going on at that time was, you know, this was obviously before before, you know, everything changed and now everybody's just sort of scrambling to be a part of anything, right? But back then in the in the, you know, mid to late nineties, everybody was making a bunch of money, right? So like everyone was like because advances and record deals were huge, publishing deals were huge, everyone was just making money. So no one was really that concerned with being on soundtracks or video games. And, and in fact, at the time it was sort of looked down upon, you know, in a sense. It was like, oh, you know, everyone was like sort of waiting for the right thing, waiting for the right. And, and we took this stance, or, or at least I did. I, I, I said, let's be on anything. <laughs> I was like, I don't care what the movie is. I don't care what the video game is. We're in. Like, yes, 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 yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because my thought was, if a movie comes out and tanks and no one cares, you know, no, they're not going to blame us and no one's going to know the difference. But if it's a huge hit, and you know, then we're geniuses. So, so we were just, yeah, like, we were just on so many soundtracks over the years because we simply because we said yes to everything but oddly you know the i think the thing other than you know just having a, a song on the radio and being on mtv the biggest thing that still to this day has not gone away is the fact that we were on tony hawk skater video game i don't oh, know right. which, I, think it was, I think it was like the second one or something so we were on uh, that and and just to this day I go out and tour, and people are like, dude, I used to play Tony Hawk for 10 hours a day and listen, you know, that's when I first heard of you. And that is above and beyond, like, other than, you know, this, like I said, the radio or MTV, that was probably the best thing we ever did. (laughs) (laughs) Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, I think it was. There you go. Pro Skater 2, yeah. Yeah, it was massive, you know, and it was uh, it was just like it, it. And again, that was the whole point was like I didn't really care how we made new fans, you know what I mean, as long as we made fans. So I didn't care if they heard us on a video game or a toilet paper commercial, you know, as long <laughs> as they came to the show and had some fun, you know. Well, I think your music definitely having that industrial vibe definitely lends itself to to movies and kind of the the sci-fi or the horror genre. It, it's a real easy bridge and. It, kind of your music is almost kind of perfectly written for those movies, you know, those style of movies. So it makes sense that you would do that. But I I wish they would still do that today. I feel like that's missing in today's climate. Like everything else is, you know, a reboot or re remake or whatever. Like, let's get back to that collabing with the music and the, and the movies and stuff. It was a good period. Yeah. I mean, there have been a few, but they're generally like throwback stuff. Like, you know, those guardians of the galaxy soundtracks or something, but they're all like, you know, sort of, uh, 70s songs or something, you know, like sort of, but yeah, there isn't a ton of uh, soundtracks. Well, I guess, you know, it's not really rock, but you could argue that the Fifty Shades of Grey movies have spawned some sound, pretty successful soundtracks, but yeah, but I know what you mean. I mean look, everything's different now. Everything's strange time, and, and, and <laughs> being a person that's been in a band, you know, on both ends of the spectrum, you know, pre-2005, post, you know, We've lived this scenario, you know, as a professional musician, and I use both of those terms lightly, professional <laughs> and musician, but, um, you know, that we've, we've seen it all, and it's just such a crazy, like, you're, you're constantly, like, adapting and changing, and, uh, you know, but as a rock band, it's still, I feel like it still just comes down to 
how it began. It's just playing shows, playing live shows, and everything else seems to me to be fairly worthless other than being a live band. Yeah. Now, that's where you cut your teeth, and that's the one thing that they can't uh, can't really replicate. They haven't haven't been able to, to fabricate a show, you know. Nothing takes away yeah. that experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. You know, it's, again, I don't know how important it is to uh, – I mean, I do think there still is a passion and, and you know, an energy for live music, but it, it certainly is – that's changed a lot, too, over the years. And, you know, you just got to keep, like – you never want to be the guy, you know, crying about the good old days because then that's where you're going to get left. But, uh, but you know, there is there are definitely some things that I, I miss, um, just the general excitement level of, of making records and putting them out, and, you know, that's changed a lot. But, uh, but yeah. you know, it's it's still all about, like I said, playing, being a great live band, and, and that's where you sort of have to prove it. Absolutely, especially in this day and age. Let me get your opinion on a, a couple of things. I, I know you're a movie buff and kind of talking about soundtracks, but m- more specifically, like some newer movies. You're a sci-fi fan, clearly. What do you think of the new Blade Runner? Have you seen it? Twenty Blade Runner 2049? You know, it's funny. I haven't seen it. I feel sort of embarrassed that I haven't seen it, but I, you know, I guess this would be my opinion, and not an opinion on the quality of the movie because I don't, I have, haven't seen it, but I just didn't like care that much i hate to say it and i love the original you know it's one of my favorite oh yeah sci-fi movies growing up and it's just i just i don't know i just didn't wasn't like super excited to see it but i will i i will you know i'm just, i know at some point i'll be sitting home it will be time to watch it but uh I, I can't say whether i liked it or not did you like it i liked it i thought the tone was there i didn't love the ending i thought it got kind of got dumb at the end but it started off great and it, it felt like it like the ambiance and like the they had the same guy doing the the you know background music all the synth like right. moody music like it all felt right just thought the ending was kind of lame but it's still worth mm. worth seeing being a fan Okay. Did, do you feel the same about the new Star Wars? And did you see The Last Jedi or same thing? Didn't Not interested. I did see The Last Jedi. I can never be as excited as I was when I was a kid. Going to, Look, I, you know, I, I'm old enough to have seen the original 1977 Star Wars in the theater. So, like, you know, and it, and it had an enormous, huge effect on my life. And I'm, to this day, that to me is, is above and beyond the best one. You know, it just, there's something about that movie that's just magical, you know what I mean? And uh, and I don't even know that it was an intentional thing. I think sometimes things just become, you know, it, it just had such a a feeling about it, and I think a part of it is when it was made. And, you know, and sometimes those movies, you know, like uh, similar to Jaws, you know, sometimes the limitations are what makes that movie, makes the movie do better, you know? Right. Um, because you're not just relying on endless digital effects. You actually have to worry about, scripts and characters and, you know, and, you know, dialogue and acting and all that stuff. So, I mean, that said, I, I can't say that I'm like, you know, think like, like the last Jedi, for instance, you know, it just felt like a huge mess to me. <laughs> it, it, like there were parts of it. I'm like, there are parts of it you, you fall into and you're like, okay, yeah, this is feeling right. And then all of a sudden the tone switches and it's a whole other movie and you're like, what's going on here? And, and, you know, just sort of like the weird, like, there's this whole scene where they're at, like, this casino. Yeah. And, and I'm like, what is going on here? Why is this even happening? And suddenly it's all CGI. But two seconds ago, it was practical effects. And so, you know, it, 
And I feel like they're just, you know, unfortunately, those, these movies are so huge, they have to serve a hundred different masters. So, like, oh, well, we've got to make sure there's a cute thing here for the kids that, you know, right. so we can sell toys at Target, and we got to make sure we... <laughs> so, it's, you know, I feel like the tone is just kind of all over the place. And uh, so, you know, that kind of bugged me. And I, and I just also feel like the, the character, the casting is... There's not a ton of charisma going on, you know? It's just like, it's not like when it was... Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and, you know, like, like really charismatic. I mean, I know Mark Hamill was in this one, but, you know, the, the, the younger characters are a bit like, I don't know, it's wallpaper to me, you know, I don't know. It's just, and, 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 but then again, you know, if I was 10 years old, I might feel totally different. I might think it was the greatest thing ever. Right. You know, I, I guess, I guess I'm glad I'm not as excited as, uh, (laughs) as a, as an adult as I was when I was a little kid and I might have some, issues but um yeah the joke I mean, felt I weird to me too yeah i feel like and i feel like the the jj abrams one was just basically a remake of you know a new hope and yeah. was a remake of um empire strikes back so it's sort of like okay can can we now get on with something now that we've retold the first two you know <laughs> right. maybe, you know um we could i could go on all day about it i don't want to be that guy yeah, yeah. moaning about a star wars movie because it's like well you know, does it really matter that much? But, <laughs> but yeah, there was just this just like a lot. It just kind of like I said, it didn't have a real focus in tone, and it just felt like it was kind of all over the place. Well, let me let me ask you about something else. I, I think the one band that uh, us music fans, especially you know, hard rock, heavy metal, can all agree on. And curious to learn from you your kind of relationship with them and maybe where you discovered them and kind of fell in love with them. And I think we all do. I fell in love with the band and then fell out of love with the band and kind of refallen in love with the band. But I'm talking about the almighty Metallica. Oh, right. Well, I mean, look, my my biggest Metallica uh, lessons were being on tour with them. This was uh, 2000. We did, it was the Summer Sanitarium Tour. Oh, right, right, uh, at the Rose Bowl. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, talk about a lineup. It was Metallica, Kid Rock, Korn, System of a Down. System of a Down. So, I mean, it was just massive. I and, mean, you know, these were some of the biggest shows we had ever played. I mean, you know, we've done bigger festivals in Europe, but this was a, just a tour, you know, I mean, we were, we were playing, you know, as the second band, we were going on at, you know, two in the afternoon and so we were playing in front of 50,000 people. And right. It was insane. <laughs> you know, look, cause I grew up not listening to a ton of metal. I was more like a punk rock kid. Right. So like there was a, there was a time where there was a real divide between punk and metal. Now it's sort of, I think that the world had have kind of come together a little bit more. Right. I wasn't like the, you know, that schooled on Metallica. I mean, obviously I knew Metallica, I knew all the songs that everybody knows, but I wasn't that kid that like lived and died for, you know, Master Puppets or something like. So it wasn't until I got to play on the same stage with those guys that I kind of realized not only just how massive they were, but how important they are as a band. Yeah. They still are. And that's, the, you know, the crazy thing about those guys is just it's the level of maintaining this, the status as you know essentially the biggest rock band in the world metal band certainly you know is kind of uh remarkable you know what i mean yeah they continue to do it all yeah and i'm not even sure why you know and again it <laughs> weirdly comes back to you know stuff we've talked about why is a song you know why does a song resonate why is a certain movie magical and you know and in and because and, and, you could look on paper well why metallica why not this other band, and why not this other? And there's just something about those those guys 
if I was to analyze it, I would say it really stems back to how they began. You know, you look at them in those early days and those early photos. I mean, they were just those dirtbag metal kids <laughs> that just, but also loved punk rock. And like, you know, and I think that just, it was something that was desperately needed by that audience. You know what I mean? Felt incredibly authentic. And I think that that's just, that's the reason why they've managed to just stick around for so long and maintain. <laughs> and just kind of wrapping up here and I appreciate all the time and kind of hoping you could clear up a rumor for me. And, and I ask, cause I'm, I'm a product of uh, 10 marriages. My parents have been married 10 times between the two of them. <laughs> my dad, wow. six, my mom, four. So, and I think you could tell where I'm going with this, but kind of talking about, uh, you and Rob Zombie, and I've always heard half-brother, step-brother, real-brother, and so being a, a guy that's got a million half and step and full and part, you know, all kind of brothers, What what is it? Are you guys full brothers or half-brothers or step-brothers? What is it? What's the relationship? Oh, you know, we're, yeah, we're absolutely full brothers. I thought you were going to say, because the, the funniest one I've heard is that that I'm his son, which is amazing. <laughs> like, I'm sure it's, it's like I've heard every ridiculous, like, Combina- his cousin is his Rob, his dad, his brother, his half brother. No, we're just bro- we're we're brothers, and uh, we have no other siblings. Just me and Rob, and uh, you know, grew up in Massachusetts, and so same and, mother uh, and that, same father. Same mother, same father. As far as we know, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of remarkable that I still find people go, finding that out and being like, "Holy shit, I didn't know that." I'm like, "How did you not know that at this point?" <laughs> Like in the beginning, in fact, we made it a rule when we first came out of the band because, you know, we, we made it a rule like it can't be mentioned. It's, it's not that I wouldn't talk about it, like if it came up in an interview or a conversation, but it was never going to be like on a, uh, a press release or anything like right, that. We wanted right. it very much. So, But, you know, at this point, I figured uh, it was pretty common knowledge, but I guess, you know, <laughs> even in the Internet age, sometimes information travels slowly, but... Uh, yeah, so well, I, that's why I yeah. wanted to kind of clear that up because I'd always heard, well, no, they're just half brothers or something, like, you know. So that's why I was like, all right, yeah. I need to get to the bottom of this. And he's how many years older than you? He's uh, two years older than me. Okay, because I know for me yeah. it was my older brother, my half brother. We had the same mom and different dads, but my older brother, half brother, was the guy that got me into you know heavy music. He was you know playing the Black Sabbath and the Judas Priest and and the Iron Maiden and and kind of awoken me to Metallica and Megadeth and the Big Four and all that. So was it kind of like that for Rob with you? Did he kind of introduce you into to rock and roll? Uh, you know, honestly, not really, uh, because I mean we were so close in age that we were sort of discovering things at the same time. You know. Uh. You know, we grew up together really loving a lot of the same things. We were just obsessed with movies, and we, we both collected comics, and we were just, you know, basically, like, super nerdy, like, into all that kind of stuff, you know? And we always loved music, and then we, you know, we, we would discover things at the same time, but then we, you could start to see where sort of diverge a little bit, right? So, like, obviously, like, maybe one of the first big things we found to was Kiss, right? Because Kiss is sort of like, oh, we're into comic books, and here's this band that kind of, like, superheroes and so we loved kiss you know together and that was like a really common first thing but then you start to see like you know my bedroom i'd be blasting like minor threat and black flag <laughs> you know and then he but he'd be more like alice cooper you 
know, and Zeppelin, right. you know. So, and then he went off to New York for art school, and I think then he fell into this whole other world of, uh, you know, which is obviously what eventually started White Zombie, was just falling into this that whole New York scene, that Lower East Side, and, you know, that noise, you know, rock kind of thing that was happening at that point. So at that point, then he might, you know, oh, check this band out, you know, and, you know, started to, we started to influence each other, I suppose, you know. But, um, but yeah, I always felt like we sort of... Uh, discover things around the same time. I mean, you know, if there was any, was an influence on me that Rob gave me, not so much, hey, check out these bands. It was, I think it was more this idea that you can find success without ever compromising what you do, you know. We all have our disaster stories and horror stories. <laughs> oh, my, my cousin signed to a label and got effed over and blah, you know. We, we all have those, but I actually had a success story, you know, to look at. And it was a pretty unique one, you know. I mean, certainly White Zombie was never a band that seemed like it should have had mainstream success, but they stuck to what they did and, uh, and never really compromised or were told how to sound or how to dress, and it, and it was successful. So I always looked at that as like, well, that's the way you do it. You know, you just do what you do and don't worry about anybody else. So that was always probably the biggest helpful thing that, that I learned from his situation. Stick to your guns and be, be you. Do you. <laughs> I think I, either to my detriment or to my success, really had no choice but to just be me because I was never talented enough to rip off anybody else so I could only do my own thing you know so it's like I was either going to make it on my own terms or not like this I always say talent is overrated you know in a sense because you can be the you know the greatest singer in the world or the greatest guitar player but if you don't have that point of view you know you're just playing notes and you and if you're if you have the ability to just copy or chase a trend or you know you're just you may always end up doing that but i was like well i can't sing like that guy and i can't so i just have to do my own thing and uh, well hey I'm, I'm glad you've done your own thing and as a fan <laughs> it's it's been great over the years and a pleasure talking to you yeah thank you i'll talk to you soon later